Warrior podcast series with your host, Annie M. Fonte. She comes from humble beginnings. Annie was raised on the plains of northeastern Colorado, where she started out as a dirt farmer, kicked up some dust as an athlete, and got gritty in the business world. Annie has over two decades of entrepreneurial endeavors under her belt, each with the same intrigue, suspense, adventure, and twists and turns that make up great novels. A handful of years ago, Annie lost her father to a heart attack in her home to a fire. The 15-year relationship she was in was also going up in flames, and one of the companies she was a co-founder of was in a complex legal battle. When she got to the other side of these events, Annie found herself needing and wanting to redesign her life. After a year-long journey of personal transformation, Annie drew ten lines in the sand that would be her guideposts to creating a life that she loved. This journey led Annie on a path of designing and teaching the live and online course called Lines in the Sand. Join Annie today as she has an open and honest conversation with an inspiring everyday hero. I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest, Tara Butcher. Tara was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. She is the third child of four and the only girl. As a child, she was into all different types of dance classes, performing in plays, and she started playing the piano at the age of six. Soon after graduating high school, she pursued her dream of being a hairstylist and moved to Los Angeles, California to attend the Vidal Sassoon Academy in Santa Monica. Upon graduating, she enrolled in an apprenticeship at Louis Lacare Color Group in Beverly Hills. After living in LA for over two years, Tara decided to be closer to family and she moved to San Diego where her oldest brother lived at the time. San Diego was quickly a place she saw herself long-term and she started building her career in downtown La Jolla. Soon after starting work in what she called her dream salon, she was in a catastrophic car accident, which left her body broken from head to toe and resulted in her left leg being amputated below the knee. You are going to hear Tara's remarkable and inspiring story today. Tara now has the opportunity to mentor patients pre and post amputation in various hospitals in the San Diego area. She is a spokesperson for the Challenged Athletes Foundation and speaks to various schools, communities, and groups about the importance of physical activity. She also speaks to groups of young girls about body image and keeping a healthy mindset about the physical body. She continues her passion as a hairstylist and has maintained her clientele in downtown La Jolla, California for the past 12 years. In her free time, she enjoys traveling, theater, live music, and spending time with her friends and family. Tara lives a life full of gratitude and curiosity and believes we all have the choice to live a life we love. Welcome to the show, Tara. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here and chat with you. Well, I remember it's probably been a couple months that I got in contact with you and I asked if you would be a guest on my podcast and you graciously and generously said yes. I threw out a few dates to you and you chose today, July 11th, which is your birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Why did you want to do this on your birthday? I'm just curious. Um, because I think it's an honor to be asked to do something like this and I figured why not do it on a, on a day that's special to me and, um, I don't know, it kind of made my birthday a little bit more meaningful for me. 
Well, I'm so pleased that you're here with us, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. So I think we covered kind of your backstory and kind of a snapshot from your life from childhood to now in our um, intro. So let's jump right in here. In May of 2005, at the age of 23, you experienced an event that changed your life forever. Tell our listeners about that particular day. So I was driving home on the freeway in San Diego, and I was in a fender bender. So myself and the other car pulled over to the shoulder on the freeway, and um, we both went to get out of our car to assess the damage and communicate about everything, and no one had been hurt at that point. And as I was standing there getting ready to kind of walk forward, I was hit by a passing car um, who was going 72 miles an hour. And I was hit head on and um, my head went into his windshield, my legs were crushed, and then I landed um, two lanes over on my back. So I kind of went in like into the windshield and then flew back, landed on my back. Um, I don't have any memory of the accident. So from there, I was rushed to the hospital and was quickly put into a medically induced coma, which I stayed in for 10 days so that they could uh, perform all of the surgeries that I needed at that point. Um, I was injured from head to toe. Basically, my body was broken and it started at my neck. I had an internal decapitation, um, which they were able to sever. to fix the severed C1 through C3. Um, They fused it with a titanium plate and a bone fusion. This was a 15 hour surgery. And then moving down, I had a ruptured ovary. So I had emergency opening of my abdomen with, um, they repaired the ovary that was ruptured and put put me back together, sewed my stomach back up. Um, my right leg was shattered. My shin bone was shattered. So they were luckily able to save that leg and they put a titanium rod in to replace my shin bone. And then my left leg was amputated below the knee. Wow. So that that was was quite a day. (laughs) Yeah. You got a little beat up that day. So, um, you know, in many cases, any single one of those particular injuries could be life-threatening, but you were a trooper and made it through it. So here we go. You woke up from a medically induced coma, having no idea what happened to you. So you had family standing around and some of your medical team. Tell us about when you woke up from that coma, having had no idea what happened in the past 24 hours. Um, I'm sorry. Well, uh, you past know, 10 days. Yeah. 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 Um, so it, I was very foggy. You know, I, I was very confused as to where I was and um, I could feel the presence of my dad. I couldn't see too well because my eyes were really swollen, um, but they kind of walked me through the gist of what had happened. You know, you were in a car accident, but you're okay and everything's going to be okay. But I knew deep down I could feel feel something was really wrong and my father and my mother were really like worried I could just feel their fear 
Um, so they kind of let me come to, I really woke up in the next like two days, I would say. And my team of three doctors came into my room and, um, they delivered the news of all of my injuries. They wanted to go through everything in their medical terms and just tell me what had happened and what they had to do. And, um, they told me that they had to amputate my left leg. Um, and they told me and delivered the, the, news in such a way of confidence they instilled the confidence in me they said you tara can do anything that you still want to do in life but you just will do things a little bit differently and i literally hung on to those words like my mental kind of like stopped there and locked in and i'm like okay i will still do whatever i want to do i just will do it a little differently and i truly truly believed my doctors um, and that was kind of my mindset that I chose right there going forward. And, you know, really kudos to your medical team, because oftentimes in situations mm-hmm. like yours, the medical team will walk in and say, you know what, your life's never going to be the same. You're going to have to give up your profession. You're going to have to change everything about yeah. the way you've been living. But it sounds like this gr- crew said, nope, this who you are is a vibrant yeah athletic young woman and you will have the opportunity to pursue whatever you want to in your life. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, kudos is right because a lot of doctors kind of give you worst case scenario. And this particular doctor, my orthopedic surgeon who had done my amputation, he was just so confident that I could live a normal life. And I do have to say like once I was in a rehab hospital, Um, I had a social worker come in to kind of check on me and and assess me. And she said to me, you're going to have to find a new career because you won't be able to stand on your legs all day. And I looked at her and I told her to get out of my room that I didn't want negative energy around me. And I never wanted to see her again because I was determined to keep doing what I wanted to do. Good for you. I love that fighter mentality for sure. So what was your first thoughts once you were more as clear-headed as you could be to absorb all this information that you had broken your neck basically severed your neck from your spine you had Mm -hmm. all this hardware in your right leg and that they had to amputate your left leg below the knee yeah um and what was your question? Just what was your first thought when, what, you, when what, you were told that information? What went through your mind? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I focused more on the amputation part of everything. I didn't really understand the severity of the neck injury until later on. I didn't realize how severe it was. Um, and I had my right leg and it just, I knew that it was injured, but it was more focused on the amputated side because that to me was something I wasn't familiar with. You know, I had never known anyone that had had an amputation. I just didn't know anything about that world. So that was like, whoa, okay, like this is this is different. Like things are gonna be different. Like how does this work? You know, what's a prosthetic? Like I just didn't know anything about any of that. That scared me a little bit. Um, but again, you know, I went back to what my doctors told me and they said I could do anything I wanted to. So I just knew that I would figure it out. I knew deep down that I was determined to figure it out. Well, I'll tell you, in my mind, there's two sets of heroes here. First and foremost, yourself. And second of all, your doctors. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know these folks, and I admire them. Yeah. 
So yes. you, yeah, yeah amazing. You were in the hospital for eight weeks. What were your days like? In the beginning, I know it was slow and you were still trying to collect yourself and get familiar with this new way of, of being. But what were those days like? Um, you know, like when I look back at those times now, 12 years later, I, I don't remember a lot of suffering and pain. Yes, I do remember days of having physical pain and struggles, but Honestly, like I had so much love around me. Little room looks like a flower shop. <laughs> I had, I had family members at my side the whole time. I had friends in and out. I had one specific friend that visited me every single day. Wow. Um, I don't know. You know, like yeah, I'm going to joy too. And there's a lot of special time that I was spending with people that I probably normally wouldn't have gotten to. Um. So I would say those days were actually like kind of enjoyable, as weird as that sounds. Um, you also have nurses around you, like helping you kind of do everything. And you're really being taken care of in a very gentle, nice way. Um, so those days for me, like that's what I remember. I remember the love, really. Good for you. And it sounds like you had a lot of it surrounding you. So that's, that's um, a special thing. I did, yeah. So what did you learn about yourself as you went through this experience? Um, I learned a lot about myself looking back, but I would say the main thing that sticks out is I didn't know I had such a mental strength in me. Um, I don't think I had ever been tested or tried to test it. Um, I just, I discovered a mental strength and this determination and this like, fighter mentality um, that I didn't know I had. So it, it was cool to tap into that and really like use it, you know, it's, it's really what got me through. You bet. Now you're a little over 12 years after your accident and mm -hmm. as you've had time now to recover and reflect and participate in a lot of activities, which we're going to talk about in a minute, what, as you look back, was the true gift in this experience for you? Um, there, okay, well, there's two really true gifts, I would have to say, and one of them, um, was I discovered an inner athlete that I never knew I had, you know, I never was athletic before, I had danced as a little girl, and I played piano, but I wasn't athletic at all, I didn't know I was. So um, discovering that was really special because when you, when you discover something new about yourself or you discover that you're something more than you even knew, it's, it's pretty special. It kind of pushes you to a different level in life and you start to think differently and you start to expand and grow. Um, so that was a special gift. And then and another special gift was I, I think I was definitely given the gift to inspire people. And I discovered that when I would start racing and when I would do 5Ks and, and 10Ks and whatever I was doing, I knew even just being there in my running leg, in my gear, people seeing me, I knew they were inspired. I could feel it. So I was definitely given the gift to inspire others. And um, I hope I carry that with me forever. Well, you certainly are inspiring. And I know you do a lot of work with... Um a lot of folks who are going through challenges. Let me ask you this. How long after your accident were you fitted with your prosthesis and what was it like to learn to walk and then start running again? 
How'd you do that? Um, I was fit about four months after my accident. Um, and once I was just so eager to get up and go at that point. So once I was fit, really just relearning how to do everything. It was kind of like starting over, like learning how to walk again. Like I had to relearn how to walk and to trust this foreign object that I was not familiar with at all. Um, so learning to walk alone was huge. And like, I remember so many little baby steps. Like I remember the first time I stood on my prosthetic and my right leg. So standing on my two feet and I brushed my teeth for the first time, not holding on to something, not sitting in my wheelchair, not holding up against my walker. Um, standing there brushing my teeth for the first time, it was like this profound moment of independence again. And so I had a lot of those little milestones along the way that just kept pushing me forward. And then I remember the first time I like put makeup on again. And, and I remember the first time I walked a whole day without a walker or a cane. And so there were a lot of those little milestones that really motivated me to want to kind of do more. It was like, okay, I did that yesterday. I walked without a cane. So today I'm going to try this. Like each day I wanted to try a little more and a little bit something different. Um, it was actually a really exciting time. You know, it's like I remember the first time I rode a bike again. I remember the first time I wore regular shoes and didn't have to take a rest because I was so tired. It was just tiny milestones along the way. That's amazing. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I do these podcasts, Tara, is because I think when we're doing life, we start to complain or we get down or we have a bad day. And we take for granted that we can stand on our own two feet and brush our teeth. We take for granted yeah. that we can put our makeup on in the morning and that we can be independent and get jump in our car and go the places we want to go, mm -hmm. etc. So to hear right. you tell your story, how those were those little milestones meant so much to you in your recovery is is something that I really want our listeners to absorb and take in. And the next time they think they're having a bad day, that they'll reflect back on the conversation we're having today. So yeah. you um, were a trooper in 2008, which is three years after your accident. You ran in the New York City Marathon. I Why, did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why did you want to run in the marathon? And what was your training like leading up to the marathon? Um, well, my training could have been a lot better. I'll say that. <laughs> I, I was consistently running, but I wasn't doing super long distances. I was doing more like five to eight miles. And then I did one half marathon prior, but I hadn't run more than 13 miles before the marathon. Um, so I finished the marathon, um, but I think I would have had a lot less pain and struggle during that time if I would have trained properly. But um, with that said, I learned a lot about training. And um, I did the marathon because I... I like to think big and I like to dream big and my favorite city was New York City and I was like I want to run a marathon and I kept talking about it and everyone around me was like you can't do that that's going to be really hard on your legs and it's just going to injure you further like you really can't do that and so that kind of pushed me too I was like well watch me you know I, I can do that and I'm going to show you so um, it was a little bit of like proving myself to myself and to others, and then also just 
doing something totally out of my comfort zone. Well, and you finished and you, you actually finished with a fairly remarkable time, given that you, you didn't train as much as you probably would have liked to or could have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, my goal is to finish, so I'm happy I did. Well, then subsequent to that, you competed in your first triathlon in March of 2009, and then a second Mm -hmm. one only a few months later in June. It sounds to me like you got hooked on this running, swimming, biking. I did, for sure. I got hooked on the sports and like learning how to do new sports, you know, cycling, swimming, running. They were all new to me. And I also got hooked on the camaraderie of the race environment, um, the support that I got during that time was exactly what I needed and I just thrived in it um so that was that was a big part of getting hooked on it was that community and that support of people at the races yeah there's a lot of energy when you uh have that many people together cheering you on Mm -hmm. for sure okay so now if that wasn't enough in 2010 you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And so for us who need to brush up on our geography a little bit, Mount Kilimanjaro is located in Tanzania. It is 15,100 feet from base to summit. It consists of three distinct volcanic cones. 25,000 people attempt to summit Kili each year, but only 40% succeed and 10 people die trying. On January 31st, 2010, you counted yourself among the 40% of those who had succeeded. Tell us about mm-hmm. this journey. Um, first, I think you I think you said the summit was 15,000, right? Right, from base to summit. But you climbed a different um, crater, right? A crater rim? Um, we did, yeah. So I know that the summit was 19,000, but you're right, yes. I just got thrown off by the 15,000. Um, okay, so you asked me, you asked me how that came about and, and why I did it. Is that right? Yes. And, and once again, it, how do you train for this? We live in San Diego or at sea level. You're going to this mountain, which is the, the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. And so you've got to train to get yourself from the bottom to the top. Yeah, definitely training. So my training changed from all the endurance stuff I was doing to a lot of strength training, a lot of core strength training, um, really just to kind of get my body stronger all over my muscles and my legs and my arms. But the core was like the main focus, stabilizing the core. Um, that was definitely where the training shifted. And then, so I would do that about three to four times a week in the gym with a trainer. And then on the weekends, I would do long hikes. And yeah, in San Diego, it was hard to get altitude training in. So I luckily didn't have altitude problems or sickness. Um, I was very lucky. But yeah, my training went from endurance training to strength training and then just really long hikes like just being on my feet for hours and hours and hours was the training. So you start your summit. Eight days later, you find yourself at the top. What did it feel like standing at the top of that mountain? Um, I would describe it. It felt like it felt very surreal because I had worked so hard to get there and 
you know, you're above the clouds, literally. Like, the scene is beautiful. I mean, it's breathtakingly beautiful, and it's so quiet up there. Um, it was an, it was an, a euphoric moment, for sure, of just feeling proud of myself and peaceful and accomplished and just trying to take in all of the scenery around me. And it was, it was such a happy, peaceful, proud moment. That's how I would describe it. Good for you. And really, I, I have to just reiterate again, only 40% of the people that ever attempt this are successful and people do die doing this. And here you are in, in what, four years after your, five years after your accident and you have mm -hmm. a prosthetic that you've have to use to climb and figure out mm -hmm. how to navigate through the terrain and whatnot. So um, that's an amazing, amazing and very inspiring accomplishment that you've uh, done. And thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, the following year, you rode your bike from San Francisco to San Diego <laughs> for a charity event. Mm -hmm. um, that's what almost what, I think about 675 miles, right? Yeah, I mean, officially, they say it's 620. Yeah. Um, how long did that take? And what charity event was this for? So that was, um, it's called the Million Dollar Challenge, and it was a charity event for the Challenged Athletes Foundation. Um, it's an annual bike ride that they do, and there's 100 cyclists that each are uh, required to raise $10,000, which equals a million, million dollar challenge. And it starts in San Francisco, and you ride your bike all the way down the coast and end in San Diego, stopping about every hundred miles to spend the night and you know eat and everything but you're going average 100 miles per day um it's a pretty big event we do it in six days and it's a lot of cycling some days you're <laughs> cycling for like eight hours and it's I'm not sure... a race it's just a ride yeah talk about a sore bottom huh <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah very much <laughs> Well, in one of our conversations we had, you spoke to me about a time when you weren't happy. And mm -hmm. if I recall correctly, this was a time when you found yourself so focused on overcoming your accident that you didn't feel fulfilled. Tell mm -hmm. us about this time in your journey and what you did to choose happiness. So it actually kind of clicked for me on that ride in the very end of it. I was riding and I just, my body was in pain. I was pushing it to the limits nonstop. And I just was kind of like shut down emotionally and mentally, and I was just exhausted, really. And I kind of asked myself, like, what, why are you doing this? Like, this isn't making you happy. Like, the endurance and the physical boundaries and the pushing myself past them, it wasn't working for me anymore. And I, I didn't feel fulfilled. I just felt exhausted, basically. Mm -hmm. So I decided, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to focus so much on all of that stuff that I wanted to have a more balanced life and I wanted to be happy. So I, I really just asked myself and had kind of a little internal conversation and a little soul search with myself. And I said, what makes you happy? You know, you've gone through all of this stuff and you've overcome all these physical limits that you thought you had and, and what will really make you happy because that wasn't making me happy 
um, you know, I was kind of done proving myself. I was kind of done living with my ego being so driven. Um, cause I think that was a lot of all of those events. Um, I, I just, I really started soul searching and I kind of went back to my childhood and I'm like, what made me happy when I was little and when am I the most happy and when am I smiling and when am I excited about things? And I started doing those things and those things included being with my friends and really connecting with them and not having to rush to do the next thing, like just really connecting, spending time with my family that I love and really taking care of my body and being gentle with it, doing yoga and doing massage and resting and going to plays and going to movies and just really enjoying what was around me and kind of like connecting to myself and connecting to my spiritual side a little bit more that that's when I really started to find joy and peace and happiness. And such that is all such excellent advice. What you just said about going back to your childhood and reflecting on what made you happy and really doing some soul searching. I think, um, uh, oftentimes, like I said earlier, we get so wrapped up in our day that we don't mm -hmm. take time to step back and really ask ourselves the primary question, which you ask yourself is, am I happy? And the answer was mm -hmm. no. So you were very proactive in getting to a place where you could finally say yes. Yeah, definitely. You're right. And like you just said, like, you know, we're always so busy and rushing to the next thing. And I, I made it a point to not be that way for a while so that I could connect, even if it was just me being by myself or whoever was in front of me to connect and really enjoy that time. Good for you. I think, I think that's so important for us all to keep in mind these days. Now, mm -hmm. I can't imagine, given what you've been through, that you have fear in your life. But if you do, what is your biggest fear and how do you manage it? Um, I would definitely say my biggest fear, it's subsiding a little bit because I've been working on it, but I've always had this fear since my accident that no one would love me. Um, you know, a relationship couldn't work because I really wasn't lovable. Um, so I had this deep rooted fear that I wouldn't find someone to love me and to love back and to create a life with and to have a family with. Um, I had a really big insecurity about my amputation and my prosthetic and my body. And um, it's been a struggle and it's been something that I'm working really hard on. And I think this is another important conversation. You know, in the intro, we talked about you going and talking to especially young girls about mm -hmm. not getting so hung up on their physical appearance. Mm -hmm. And it really goes to show us, I think, that inner beauty is the most important. And you, yes. have, you have stunning inner beauty. And regardless of the scars you have or whether mm -hmm. you have your racing leg or walking leg on or not, to really embrace your own self beauty from the inside out and approach life that way. Approach it from your mm -hmm. inside out. It, it truly mm -hmm. is an inside job, don't you think? Oh yeah, definitely. It's all about how you actually feel, definitely. That's, uh, that's once again, great advice for all of us. So what's the best advice you've received thus far in your life? Um, 
I would say um, the best advice that I've gotten, and it's from my grandfather who just turned 90, um, he said, just be true to yourself always because the rest of the other stuff will just fall into place. Just be true to yourself. Um, And what that means to me is, you know, like living your authentic life of truth, meaning saying and doing the same things and matching what you say and what you do. Um, Speak from your heart and speak authentically and be genuine and down to earth. And that's, that's kind of what that meant to me when he said, always be true to you. And at what age did he give you this advice? What age were you? Um, I mean, probably in my teens, probably like I'd say around like 14. I remember him saying that. I could have said it sooner, but that's kind of when it started to click with me. Well, it's very sage advice, and I, I say often it's that type of advice that keeps us on the road instead of, you know, there are days mm-hmm. when we wander off and we're getting close to getting in the ditch. And if you can mm-hmm. just remember those words of wisdom, it kind of brings you back to the center of the road. And I call it keep your ass in the saddle because I'm, I'm yeah. a equestrian and I like to ride horses. But uh, that's certainly good advice because what else do we have if we're not being authentic, right? It's so true. It's so true. It's the only way to truly be fulfilled, I think. I agree 100%. Okay, so many of us have a cause that we're passionate about. And I know that Challenged Athletes Foundation is one of yours. Tell us how CAF helped you and describe how you've been involved in the organization since your accident. Uh, CAF, Challenge Athletes Foundation, is an incredible organization based here in San Diego. And what they do is provide grants for people with physical disabilities so that they are able to participate in the game of life through sports. Um, They've provided me with a few running legs, I'd say probably three now. Um, They've provided me with a bike for triathlon and they've provided me with training to do triathlons. So what that provided for me was getting back into life, you know, and for me to do that on my own, to buy my own running leg would have been impossible because they cost, I mean, around $20,000. They're just, it's just almost, untouchable to buy your own athletic equipment for for what you would need with a disability so they've provided grants and they provide grants they not only provide the equipment but they provide such a support and a community of people that are supportive um it really just makes you feel like you can relate and that they have your back and they're there for you um So I've become a spokesperson for them and I get to speak to different groups in the community and different schools about the importance of being physically active and keeping your body healthy and what it's done for me and what they've done for me. Um, I feel forever indebted to CAF. They've completely changed my life. Um, They are a wonderful organization. I'm going to include in our show notes for all you listeners out there information about the Challenged Athlete Foundation, and there's also going to be information about how you can learn more about them as well as contribute if your heart desires because it is amazing what this foundation does for people. I know Mm -hmm. um, shortly after your accident, Tara, one of the uh, CAF athletes showed up 
with his running leg and had a nice chat with you to inspire you to get through your challenges. He did. Yep. I was, I was at home recovering, still in a wheelchair. Still, I had a halo neck brace on <clears throat> and he came over and he was walking in his prosthetic with shorts on and he was carrying his running leg to kind of show me what it looked like. And he said, oh, I just finished a 10 mile run. And I'm like, wait, what? You did what? <laughs> and he's this incredible athlete who has competed in the Paralympics. And he's just, he's an amazing, amazing person and athlete. And he said, yeah, you can do it too if you want to. You know, I'll go run with you when you get your running prosthetic. And um, he, he did. He would meet me at the track and he got me running. And I remember when I did my first half marathon at the beginning when we were getting ready to start I looked over and he was next to me and we didn't know each other were doing the race um but he was what got me there he's what got me to the starting line and so CAF sends these people out to talk to you and mentor you which as you can see kind of pushes you forward and without him I don't know if I would have desired the running so he was an incredible mentor for me well, and I would venture to guess without you, there are some people out there that wouldn't be doing what they're doing today, too. I hope so. <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that I can do what he did for me. I'm sure you have and will continue to do so. So you just returned from a trip to Tanzania and Rwanda, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. went to Tanzania with a friend to help underprivileged people, and then you went on mm -hmm. to Rwanda to spend some time with the gorillas. Tell, yep. us, yeah, tell us about these trips. And what did you learn about love, life, and yourself? Um, so since I did Kilimanjaro back in, in 2010, seven years ago, I had always had the desire to go back to Tanzania and work with girls there. I just had this envision that I wanted to go back and do some work there. Um, so my girlfriend and I collaborated and we planned a trip to go and we ended up raising money to support three orphanages out there. Um, while we were there, we got them the essential goods that they needed, uh, flour, rice, beans, laundry detergent, you know, just things that you need in the day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. um, we got to spend time with the kids at these orphanages, and it was a very fulfilling week of my life. And it was a lot of work, but it was so worth every second of it. Um, so it was really kind of living and fulfilling a dream that I had had and envisioned since I was in Tanzania in 2010. Um, and then from there, we went on to Rwanda where my dad met us. And I have a huge fascination with gorillas. I always have. And I've studied them and watched them in the zoos. I just think they're wonderful, amazing creatures. Um, so I learned about this trek that you can do that takes you into the rainforest. You trek into the rainforest with a guide and you get to see the gorillas in their natural habitat, just living their life, hanging out with their families and not in a zoo behind a glass and just eating and playing and hanging out. And that was also a dream of mine for the last couple of years. So that trip was a huge, huge bucket list and fulfillment and just such a joy. Um, I really enjoyed both countries so much. And I just, I loved learning about the cultures there and how people live. And um, I'd say what I learned on that trip is 
you know, talking to people that are from there and talking to people that have grown up there. And the, I learned that we're all really the same, mm-hmm. you know, no matter where you're from or how you were raised or what your environment is, what language you speak, what color your skin is. We all feel the same things. We all think the same things. We have the same fears. We have the same desires. Like our psychology is the same. And it's just kind of cool to be reminded of that. You know, it's like we were all, we really are just all one. Um, and I just learned, I learned again, I knew this, but it was, it was really apparent to me on this trip. Like I just love learning about other cultures and learning about the way people do things differently and getting outside of my box of the way I do things and the, mm-hmm. the things that I see on a daily basis here in San Diego. Um, I think it's just so great and it expands your mind and it's, it's how I like to learn about life is going and seeing it and, and immersing myself in cultures. Um, yeah, so it, it was a great trip. It was a really great trip. I, I like what you said about that really at the end of the day, we're all one, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I would venture to guess even the gorillas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very much similar to us, you know, the way they do things and the way their mannerisms are and the way they react to things. It's so human like. Yeah. Well, good for you. Those sound like wonderful trips. And if people want to learn more about that, they can get in contact with you. So, um, as you know, one of the reasons I do these Badass Warrior podcast series is to inspire our listeners to create a life that they love. You have certainly have done this, and it hasn't been without its ups and downs and its trials and tribulations, but what advice would you give the listeners to assist them in creating a life that they love? Um, I would say, you know, if you're really searching for that and you don't feel like you are living a life that you love, First and foremost, know that it's possible and that if, if you really want to, you can create something like that. Um, and I would say it starts with connecting to yourself, um, getting to know yourself and what works for you, what doesn't work for you, what makes you tick, what makes you smile, what makes you sad, like really connecting to yourself. And then you're able to connect to others. And then you're able to let people see you. And then you're able to enjoy the things that you love and know what they are. Um, So I think it all starts with you getting to know yourself and then knowing that you can. It's possible for you to create a life you love. Great. I love it. Um, So what makes you a badass, Tara? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I... I think that just kind of what I was saying, like I've connected to myself and I've connected to the people that I love the most. And I mean, I'm a pretty amazing friend and also a pretty amazing family member. Like I know that I would do anything for those that I love. And I think that takes strength and um, integrity and I'm really proud of that. And I know that um, the people that are close to me feel the same way. So I think that makes me a badass. I would agree 100%. There's a lot of things that make you a badass, but uh, I can certainly appreciate that. Um, Before we wrap up here, I want to do what I like to call little lightning rounds. This is kind of a fun thing. So I I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind in each of these categories with the question being, what is your favorite? 
Are you game? Sure, yeah. Okay, here we go. What's your favorite color? Purple. Song? Um, Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Ah, excellent. How about book? Um, Tuesdays with Maury. Oh, that was a great book. I love it too. What's your favorite mm-hmm. season? Fall. How about holiday? Thanksgiving. Ah. <laughs> and food? <laughs> What's your favorite food? Um, pretty much anything chocolate. <laughs> Turkey dipped in chocolate at Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, chocolate after the turkey, yeah. but always finishing with chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little something, something after dinner, right? Okay. Yeah. How about your favorite movie? Um, Still Magnolias. Great. And flower? Um, hibiscus. Smell? The smell of freshly brewed coffee. Ah, I like that too. How about your favorite sound? um piano playing and do you still play you know I know how I know how to read music but I don't have a piano where I live right now I have a very small one bedroom apartment that doesn't fit one but so I know how but no I don't currently play well I'm sure one day that'll change we'll we'll find you a little bigger place and we can get you a piano in there so before we wrap up I I want to kind of swing back around you your dream job your dream vocation was to be a hairstylist and you've accomplished Mm -hmm. that so talk to us a little bit about your current position and your profession and what you're doing and where you are and I'll include this in the show notes as well if people want to get in touch with you okay yeah I uh, rent a space I rent a, a booth in a salon in downtown La Jolla called Salty Roots Um, I've worked in the La Jolla area for 12 years, so I have a great clientele that I love. I've become very close with my clients, Um, and I love what I do. I've always known from an early age that that's what I wanted to do. I love the creativity and the independence and the flexibility that I have. Um, It's a really special job because I get to make people feel better than they did when they came in and and making people feel good and making people feel good about themselves and to feel like they look good is uh it's a very special job um it's a very um it's always like a positive day you know like it's always people are always feeling good and talking about how they feel good um and i think you know your your appearance is important and i think it's good to be comfortable with the way you look So it's nice to be able to help people do that. Um, It's also an active job because I'm on my feet and moving around a lot. Um, So yeah, I love it. Again, I'm in downtown La Jolla at Salty Roots Salon and I work full time and I love it. Good for you. Well, obviously you've picked a vocation where you are a huge service to others and you get the opportunity every single day to put a lot of smiles on a lot of faces and that has to be pretty Mm -hmm. fulfilling. It is. It is very fulfilling, definitely. Great. Well, I can't thank you enough, Tara, for joining us today. Like I said earlier, happy birthday. I hope this is your best day in year ever. And um, I will include all the information about you in our show notes so our listeners can learn much more about you than we were able to cover today.
Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to chat with you and to catch up and to share my story with you and the listeners. So thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us today for the Badass Warrior podcast as we explored how Miss Tara, who's certainly a warrior among us, has created a life that she loves. And finally, I invite you to be badass with me. Come be a warrior with me. Let's get our boots dirty. Let's get a little mud on our faces. Let's get gritty and grateful and dazzling. Along the way, we will soulfully and forever seek the unusual. We will learn that all we have is enough. We will find joy in each moment, and we will come to know that there is great abundance in the world. We will create a life where gracious meets breathtaking and unmitigated badassery abounds. Meet me at the barn, and until you join us again, stay true and be you.